live for our latest episode of First Strike. But before we start the show, I just want to talk about our sponsor, Face Face Games, the number one place to get your online, uh, to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And I do want to mention something about podcast apps in general, because not a lot of people know about them. The best way to listen to the show can be on your free podcast app, whether it's on iOS, whether it's on Android, uh, just download. And there's a ton of MTG podcasts, including this one and another one, like the game podcast that Jerry Thomas is doing with Brian. And you can just listen the best, one of the best ways to consume MTG content, whether you're going to work, uh, going back home, or doing a lot of repetitive tasks, and you can listen to them at like 1.5x speed, so you can get tons of content in a short amount of time. So if you haven't jumped into Magic Podcast, do yourself a favor and see, maybe you'll find something that you really love. Uh, today's show is all Canadian nationals, and I'm honored, I'm really ha- happy to have the latest, the new Canadian nationals champion, Kale Thompson in the house. Welcome to the show, Kale. How's it going? It's good. Thank you. <laughs> and we also got Andy P- Andy Football Peters. Is that is that the real name? That's it's on my birth certificate. <laughs> Andy Football Peters in the house, and as always, my good friend Rob Lombardi. What's up? Is football really on your birth certificate? I feel no. like you're probably telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> Uh, but but you faced an opponent that thought that was your real name, right, Andy? Uh, yes, I did. So so I sat down and they saw the last name Rob Drop, which is uh, the, my real last name or official one, and they go, "Oh, I t- I thought your last name was Football Peters," <laughs> and I, I was in awe that they could possibly think that my real last name was Football. <laughs> I mean, people have weird weird last names. I I don't think it's that unusual. Well, like I told you before, it, it, it's only unusual if my first name, not unusual if my first name was ESPN sponsors Andy Football Peters. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's go straight to, to Kale and your win. Congratulations again, Kale. Uh, super, super impressed uh, with the run. And uh, you took Teamer Energy, which littered the top eight, five of the copies were Teamer Energy, and after day one, I did a breakdown of all the 4-0 uh, decks because there's just four rounds of standard followed by three rounds of draft, and most of them, like over 50%, were Teamer. Um, some, less to a lesser extent, there were like some, some dark uh, Teamer that were just splashing for Scarab God. Uh, what made you take Teamer to the tournament? Um, I, I've played it before. Um... I liked it. I like mid-range decks. Um, I played it at the RPTQ, and I top forward that one. And we were talking about it before the tournament, me and Andy and our friend Devin, and we decided there was only like a couple of changes we really wanted to make. And I was happy with... Like, I wanted to play that deck in the mirror match. And I got that a lot. So, Oh, Andy was uh, bragging to me about some, some spicy uh, mirror tech that you guys had that you were proud of. Andy? Uh, yeah, so, so we were playing Vizier of the Many Faces, uh, two of them, which a lot of, a lot of lists were starting to play one, and it was creeping up in blue-black sideboard four-teamer. But basically, at one time, I was playing a, in a playtest game against blue-black, and they played a Vizier of the Many Faces, copied my Bristling Hydra, and I was livid. I just felt like I couldn't do anything about it. just had to trade this Hydra for it and the next Hydra for it, and just 
there's just no way to get around the two for one a lot of the times. Rob, yeah, it's so good. Rob, was uh, the the Vizier tech uh, a tech that you were aware of? Yep, I mean that was it was floating around as a one of uh, for a while. Uh, I think before Worlds for sure. Um, and uh, uh, like I heard Derek talking about it, he thought it was reasonable. I think it it is definitely good in the mirror. I mean, you basically just get the best creature on the board twice, right? And uh, since the decks are already kind of removal constrained and the threats are annoying um, enough already, that I mean, it, it seems like it seems like a fair choice. I saw like Brian was kind of pushing for maybe Glyph Keeper is really just kind of doing the same thing, right? Where you're just playing a very annoying threat that that they have to deal with. Uh, deal with twice and Ku is also kind of playing in the same space where you're really just trying to two for one your opponent in a in a matchup that's already like you know attrition based anyway so yeah i think it's a it's a good choice yeah we uh we started to bring in vizier against other matchups is when we really decided that it was what we wanted like it's in our sideboard plan at least mine personally for mono red and also for blue black control at, at that point <laughs> do you kind of want the card in your main deck maybe maybe but <laughs> so your sideboard plan for all three big decks <laughs> that was my problem with putting the gear hulks in the deck is that i just wanted to bring them against everything because they're sweet but i don't actually know if they're good <laughs> right <laughs> um so overall for for you the vizier served you really well across uh the six rounds of standard kill uh, uh, yeah i played the mirror five times in the swiss out of five and i played it two out of three in the top eight and, and the vizier what i wanted up. and the vizier yeah. came up all, a lot? all the time all the time like even if you like you need to just stall out you can just copy like a rogue refiner or something and they sort of can't attack you anymore because like you're already up value and if they ever do you just block and get their best creature and it's it's just a mess right so you just get to wait around until you find your five drops Oh, but Andy, is it that much of an edge if, if other people have also caught on? Well, it it's no longer an edge if other people are also doing it, no. <laughs> yeah. Nobody played one against me. I'm sure that they had them, but... Like, a lot of people were playing Carnage Tyrant also for the mirror. Like, it looked like it's for blue-black, but it was actually for the mirror. And it's also just... Can you imagine just playing a four-mana Carnage Tyrant and then another five-mana one later? Sounds purity decent. <laughs> Actually, I'm mistaken. I'm doing the search on the top eight list. Kale had two, and out of the other, like all the five um, teamer list, only Maxim OJ also had one Vizier. So maybe people won't adopt it as much, even though uh, Kale ended up taking the tournament. They might net deck some of the other lists. Um, so, uh, Kale, moving forward. If someone were to ask you if, if they should play your list in an upcoming PPTQ this weekend, what would you say? Could they just take your 75 and go with it with enough practice? Um, it's pretty stock. I mean, it depends on what you think. The only, like, the only other change I made was I put uh, Chandra in the main deck because I thought there were a lot of Essence Scatters around, and it's really good on the play. But like, it's just a stock Teamer deck. If you're familiar with Teamer, just make whatever small changes you want. I like to joke that I usually just take the best deck and make it a little bit worse. Like, it's usually my plan for tournaments. <laughs> it sounded like you made it a little bit better, though. 
with the two viziers. This is what yeah, every once in a while it works out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that broken clock theory, right? J- yeah, Jerry yeah. Um, also played two viziers in his board. Um, and he walked away with the U.S. Nationals trophy, or I guess a, a national seat, rather. Uh, so it seems like it was a reasonable choice. Nice. So, Andy, how did you do with the deck? With, you played, what, 74 of the same cards? Yeah, yeah. The only difference was uh, I didn't have the sideboard confiscation coup. I had uh, I had something else that I can't think of right now. But <clears throat> I went 3-1 in standard. I only won 2 the draft and didn't. Decided I didn't want to come back for day two. <laughs> but uh, Vizier was sweet. I have a pretty good story about what I copied with the Vizier of the Many Faces against Mono Red. Go ahead, go ahead, please. All right, all right. So it's a pretty stalled board. I'm at like 12. They're at like 15. And the board is just a Bowmat Courier versus nothing. So I Vizier the Bowmat Courier attack. Next turn, they play something attack. And then the next turn, I attack again. Sack the Bowman Courier, and then uh, my two draws for the turn after that, one of the Courier, are like another Glory Bringer and a removal spell. And so then I just bring back the Vizier right away to copy like something to jump with. It was actually an Oncrop Crasher. And then the next turn they make a huge attack, and then I play Glory Bringer, removal spell, attack, and exert the Oncrop Crasher I copied and the Glory Bringer, just like, so he can't block, kill his guy, and then I just win the race going to one in that game, because... Because Vizier drew me two cards, did like six or seven or eight damage, and it just—it felt so good. It felt right. <laughs> this is amazing. You said you finished the day at X three. Yeah, X three. And I couldn't but... top. I didn't want to play. <laughs> I took my three boosties left. <laughs> Rob, how did you end up doing for your day one? Uh, day one, I ended up going X1, X1, so I ended the day uh, 5-2. So I still had hopes and aspirations going into uh, day two. Fell a little bit short, though. Ended up, uh, I guess, 9-3. and three. Yeah, there's 12 rounds, right? Um, and since my tiebreakers were 0.003% better than the guy in 17, so I, I managed to squeak into top 16. <laughs> pretty, pretty sweet uh, finish. All around, I was uh, I was like following the standings and seeing you was just like sort of in in the mix, like in the top thirty ish for a while. Yeah, in the uh, in both of the the drafts, the guys I lost to both made top eight. So I lost to Morgan on uh, on day one, and then I lost to uh, Philippe Garo on on day two. So I don't know, beating me in a draft, I guess at nationals is is pretty lucky. <laughs> you get to, you get to run real hot afterwards. Um, so, so Rob, for you, if you expect, uh, if the local player expects a bunch of teamer, uh, what are the viable strategies you see uh, moving forward? Or is it just just play the best deck and, and go with it? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're an accomplished teamer player, I think that you can just get your percentage points out in the mirror by just kind of, like, slowly evolving the deck to be one step ahead, right? So, you know, the Vizier plan seems good. Once people start doing that, Maybe you want something else, like maybe you're playing Death Gorge Scavenger as well to like you know try and make sure they can't buy it back, or maybe you're just playing Life Crafters Bestiary or whatever to get card advantage that way. Just like you know some other method for just kind of going over the top again one step, and then that'll probably progress to a point where it's just right to go under everything 
uh, instead. Uh, who knows how fast the format will actually evolve, though. Um, it, if you're not an accomplished team or player and you don't think that you can uh, make the right decisions in the mirror, I think that Mardu is a fine place to be. I think it, it can be built in a way to have a good team or matchup. And I think that uh, the token set can also be built in a way that is can be reasonable uh, against Teamer. But other than that, it's not a lot. Like Mono Red, I thought that it was going to be better performing against uh, against Teamer, but it was not. Uh, apparently, anyways, <laughs> it did, it didn't shine in in the Canadian Nationals. So. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that that deck needs some work. I'm not sure exactly where to take it, but yeah, I think probably a lot of people are teamer players and they just need to kind of like reset, recalibrate and figure out what their, their game plan is in the mirror going forward. Okay. Um, what about you, Andy? I've, I've asked Kale already. What, more, any tips for, for listeners that are, that are heading to a PPTQ this weekend? Uh, just sort of to try to stay a step ahead, but you can't go too wrong by just copying whatever won the week before and especially in like situations like pptqs where if you know like half of the meta because you know who these people are you can easily gear like the couple slots for whatever you want to try and beat and now that the tokens dick i feel like it kind of sucks that i would uh i'd probably cut the appetites at least one of them because that deck stunk that was a stinker it just didn't do that it didn't do that well it's it, it's really good against blue-black, but blue-black wasn't the big dominating force that people thought it was going to be. So I would just play a, a slightly stocked teamer list, gearing it towards whatever you want to play, uh, whatever you think you're going to play against. Like, you could add more Chandra's Defeat if you're afraid against red. You can, uh, like, go bigger on the Gearhawk Glimmer sideboard plan if you want to play a better game against Control. Just sort of how you want the games to play out, you can gear the sideboard and main deck towards that. Well, I got to give props to Rob, who uh, called that Jerry would not be playing blue-black at Nationals. A lot of people were giving Rob some grief over his uh, comments on the blue-black control deck. Yeah, the deck is just, uh, it's just bad. It's just a bad deck. I don't know. It's just not, it's not a good place to be in the metagame. There's the control stalwarts that'll play it, and they'll even sometimes have good records, and they'll be able to tell you that the deck isn't that bad because they're winning but the deck is still it is still bad you can go back to the tape on last week's first strike if you want to know why i think it's bad <laughs> all the details are there in my rant <laughs> and kale uh, what was your record in the swiss for standard uh i lost one round and i had a buy in the first round as well so okay so you okay so you went um five one in yeah. standard and uh, how did the draft go? And did you prep or did you do not like standard? You just picked a top deck list uh, for draft. Did you just try to wing it as well? Is that, is um, that okay? So I did, I did three or four drafts before. That's it. Um, and I hated the format, so I just didn't want to do anymore. Um, and then about a week before, I just started like reading everything I could, watching everything I could, and like listening to limited resources like as I was doing other stuff and I just got myself in the mindset of just like taking two drops over everything and just like waiting to see what's open, like picking either white or, or blue and just like seeing which which one that goes sort of thing. And just like two drops, two drops, two drops. And then I just did that. I got lucky in the first one 
So there was like black was really, really open and I started in black and I got pretty lucky on day two because I started in Merfolk and nobody else was Merfolk. Yeah. Wow. And, and did you just XO both pods or? Uh, no, I dropped, uh, I dropped a match to in the second one. So I kept uh, kind of a stinker against the deck that I thought was slow, but then he came out like two drop, hammer skull, two drop, two drop, four drop kind of thing. And just got run over. <laughs> Andy, did you grind way more than Kale for, for this tournament in terms of uh, your limited prep? Uh, I played about <laughs> uh, five or six drafts in between uh, hundreds of hours of PUBG. And yeah, I know exactly where he's been all this time. <laughs> but uh, I did like five or six drafts. I liked uh, all of the, the tribal strategies, and my goal was to try and. Uh, really dig deep into getting the synergies synergies and pirate cutlass which is for every tribe and uh, the enchantments were just really good just because the removal is so bad that you could just uh, suit up crappy creatures get get some tribal synergy and it's hard to break up the synergy when the removal is this, this bad did it not work out for you in your first draft though? in your day one draft rather Okay, okay, we're just calling me out. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I drafted a red-white dinosaur deck. It was actually a pretty good deck, but what ended up happening is I got... I never got any good spells, so I ended up playing this 16-land, 21-creature deck with three spells. So I never... I honestly feel like it was a 2-1 deck, but uh, I'm, all to, I'm, all to, I'm all to bit in one of my matches that I think I was actually really well set up. His deck was better than mine, but my deck was really well set up. I had two of the two, three Vigilance uh, Dinosaur, who's very good, and just a bunch of good defensive creatures versus this red-white, uh, this aggro deck, and just didn't work out. Just uh, got ran over because of that dastardly 2-3 that taps my stuff. Hmm, okay. Rob, Rob, how did Limited go for you? I went 2-1-2-1. Two, one, two, one. Um, the first draft was kind of a disaster, sort of. Uh, it seemed like uh, my seat should have been blue black pirates uh, based on pack one, so that's where I was. Um, and then I opened uh, or I got past it to Shauna in pack two, and I had like some treasure stuff going on already from the the pirates cards. I was like, okay, I can take this to Shauna, pick up some more treasure stuff, and that can kind of be my top end. It's like reasonable, uh, you know, to play there. And then I also got past. I don't know what it is, the, the seven minute mythic is like you draw seven cards. I was like, okay, I have a plan. I am a treasure pirates deck that has like a, a really good late game. So I just need to get there. Right. And then it was just like green card after green card, after green card coming in back too. it was like, just nothing. This literal, no, just dregs. So I took like a couple, uh, green guys that were merfolky kind of like dip my toe in as a hedge in case like pack three didn't really end up uh, working for me. Um, pack three again. There was just like no pirate stuff really available, and then I thought my deck was just going to be like a four color disaster. So I'm like looking for anything, like New Horizons, like I just any fixing at all because I just need to like get to 23 playables. And then all of a sudden, it's just like the three three blue green gold guy pack or pick three, the three three green blue gold guy again pick four, and then the rest of my picks were just all Merfolk. And so I ended up with like a pretty reasonable Merfolk deck at, at the end of the day. Um, so I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty lucky there. Deshauna did a lot of work. There was, 
two games where I got to cast Tashana, draw five cards, and untap, and then draw seven and attack for like uh, I don't know ten or eleven or whatever it is. <laughs> so uh, that was that was nice. I guess they they call that living the dream. Um, but Morgan uh, ended up kind of getting me in a close match uh, in game three, where he just like suited up that stupid menace orc um, with a pirate's cutlass. And we kind of like went to uh, went to a race, and I ended up just like not being able to uh, to get there. I, I needed like one more turn, and he just kind of like had the bounce spell to uh, to tempo me out. So uh, yeah, I guess I, I think I would consider myself lucky to get a two one <laughs> out of that pod. If you if you were to like look at my deck, kind of halfway through the draft, <laughs> be like, yeah, this is an O three for sure. <laughs> um, the second draft was definitely better. I took, uh, I think it's called a Dantos Vanguard. No, not a Dantos Vanguard. I don't know. Whatever the flip white rig, it makes a 1-1 life licker. You attack with three guys. It flips, and then you can pay three and tap it to uh, to make a 1-1 life licking vampire. So I took that first. So kind of like everyone around me knew that I was, like, I had it, and I was, like, most likely going to want to go vampires. So luckily, uh, the guys near me were, you know, conscious drafters and didn't want to contend for a vampire stack with me. So I got a... Pretty reasonable uh, vampire deck that had like three deacons and a, a couple sweet removal spells, and then like you know just filling out the curve with a bunch of other vampires. There was like some notable omissions. There's another black white drafter on the other side of the table who kind of had all the the bishops, which is a two two life linker, which is like a pretty key card. Um, but I had like all the flyers um, and the deacons, so I, I don't know. I ended up beating him in, in in the third part of the draft, so I guess I'll take it as a victory. But again, I got. Suckered by Philippe with a blue-red tempo deck, <laughs> just suiting up uh, Daring Apprentice. I think it's like the <laughs> the rare, the two-minute two-one pirate rare. You can just pay three to make it unblockable. Just like plays it on turn two. I jokingly play the two-minute one-three flyer as a pacifism right over his creature, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, pacifism's pretty good." And then just casts like one with the wind on his guy and attacks for four. And then makes his guy unblockable every turn. And I just like did not draw a removal spell to deal with it. No matter how much life link I could muster, just like was not enough. I was like, yeah, cool. This format's sweet. <laughs> I can't kill a four, three flyer. I'm in black, white. It's great. Great deck. <laughs> um, I, I actually, after the tournament, I congratulate Lucas. Yeah, as well. Who finished in second place. Uh, told him I was, I was stoked for him as well. And, you know, asked him if, if he did much prep or anything. And he basically said he just ran really hot. And, uh, and it, on, even on Facebook, he's like, probably playing a single game of standard before a tournament is the first step into his path to winning. And we have Kale talking about how he drafted three, four times maybe. So I think our listeners are going to think that, you know, that, that's no big deal. Don't, you don't have to prep too hard to, to win at all. Is there anything that they could take away? Is it more all that experience you've had beforehand in playing uh, high-level tournaments that, that got you to the success? Or did you actually just run insanely hot, Kale? I mean, I think both. I mean, I've been playing in tournaments for a really long time. And that adds up. And right now, like, Teamers is the best deck, and it's a mid-range deck, and all I play is mid-range decks. So I'm really happy when a mid-range deck is the best deck, so I can just play those mirrors, which I'm just, like, super comfortable in all the time. Um, I also just, like, love Limited. And that's all I really care about in Magic. I just, like, play Constructors I have to kind of thing. Um, 
so like if you tell me that a format's about nut draws and two drops, then I'll draft decks that are about nut draws and like two drops and nut draws, right? Um so you just have to like be ready to like adapt to like it's hard to say it, but like when you've been playing for this long, you've seen all this stuff before. So you can start just like imagining like this is Zendikar now, let's do that when it comes to draft and just like learn the smaller details as well as you can. Hmm. It's probably better to test and practice though. You should probably <laughs> be testing and practicing. Like I, I did all of that and I also got very lucky. Like my my opponent's multi five a few times. Uh my winning in my opponent got a game loss. Um in top eight Omar mold to five and kept a zero lander. Like I like sometimes you just like get lucky as well. I, I do think it's important uh, for people to hear that because some people just, I think they put too much emphasis on their terrible record. And then I think they are way, some, at least some are way too hard on themselves. Um, yeah. Andy was rooting for you strongly uh, all throughout the tournament, especially through the top eight. And uh, I thought his, his Facebook message when, when you did win was, was heartfelt. Um, I do want to ask Andy to talk more about you just because I think one thing I mentioned on the show before that I have a problem with, uh, it's not really a problem that mainly that for certain tournaments, it's hard to build these narratives for, for like the pro tour teams. It's hard to really care about them because you don't really know them. So hopefully listeners that end up watching the world magic cup uh, in December, know a little bit more about Kale and Lucas and Eduardo, if I, if I managed to bring those two on for a bit and learn just a bit about them so we know who exactly we're cheering for. Andy, uh, you, you talked to me about Kel. He's a strong player. So anything that you would like to, to mention uh, about him while he's here? Even. Compliment him to his face. Well, as the, the official Kale historian, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's easily one of the, the – he's definitely the best limited player I've ever played with myself personally. And he, he's... Ooh, shots fired to, to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yep, everyone. Uh, he's, like I said, so he's one of the best limited players I've, I've ever played with. And, and in Constructed, he's, he plays a lot of mid-range decks, which is also what I favor. So we, we always tend to talk about that kind of stuff. And we always try to build decks that gear towards our strengths, which is to play these mid-range matchups and... Kale's just a, he's, he's just a very, very good player. And he's the... If, if my life's on the line in a mid-range mirror, it's it's probably gonna. I would I would check Kale in instead of me. And uh, it's it was really interesting to to watch watch him do so well because a lot of the time with friends, sometimes you get jealous when they do well because you feel like you deserve that too. You deserve to do as well. But uh, with Kale, it's it's not that way. You know, he deserves it more than you do, for sure. And he's a very good player, very deserving. Thanks, man. The accolades. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> Andy, we need to get you like a Kale Thompson t-shirt or something. <laughs> so so I, I was actually going to get a printed t-shirt today with Kale's face on it. But unfortunately, you just can't buy 4XL Kale t-shirts at Walmart. <laughs> I'm sure the internet's got him somewhere. That's amazing. <laughs> Kale, where were you based in right now? Is there a local LGS that you, you tend to play at? Uh, I live in Peterborough, but I mostly play uh, in uh, Oshawa at Worlds Clyde. Okay. Um, 
like Andy, how how often do you even see kale? Like uh, I physically see kale like probably five to ten times a year or something. Like every GP I go to, I go with kale. But uh, we we talk literally every single night. Like every <laughs> single every single day, we essentially hang out on the internet. So <laughs> we play a lot of PUBG. So there's that. Yeah. Well, I, I just like strong words, man. That, that was like a lot of praise, and I'm uh, really glad to hear that. And uh, that was awesome. Uh, that was awesome, Andy. Um, to uh, one of the things, uh, back to nationals quickly. Uh, one of the things that uh, our friend Eric Froelich, Efro, tweeted is uh, about his nationals was that drafting without stamped product is a total joke. Hashtag MTG Nationals. Um, Rob, uh, were you guys drafting unstapped as well? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Does it, did it, uh, was it a concern to you? Yeah, we, we were drafting with unstamped product. And I'm not sure how they like organize the draft uh, for U.S. Nationals, but the way that uh, FACE did it um, for Canadian Nationals was everyone opens the packs, you draft like normal, right? It's a timed draft. And then no one touches anything. They leave their cards as they are. And then everyone kind of like switches seats so that someone is registering your deck that is from another pod. Um, actually, everyone from the pod is from another pod registering someone else's uh, deck so that the, the pools are registered by someone that doesn't care what your pool is. Um, and that ensures that, you know, you can't do... I mean, you can try, but if you if you do and you're caught, it'll be noted uh, that you're doing something sketchy, like swapping cards out or whatever. Um, so I, I think it was done fine. It's like as secure as like a day one GP sealed, right? Like you, it's not like they stamp all the products at a day one uh, sealed GP. So I'm not sure exactly what the problem was with them not being stamped, like. It's just not a, it's not a pro tour, right? And it's not day one of a GP. This is going on like all over the globe. There's a lot more, you know, people potentially it's, I don't know. It's a little more casual (laughs) because it's nationals, even though like it gets a little serious later, but everyone's, there's a lot of more people there that are there to kind of like hang out and have fun than really like be, be serious. So I just don't think that's what you want on day one. Maybe they could have done it on day two because it's a smaller, uh, a smaller, um, event size at that point but i honestly i didn't i don't think there was a problem with it and i don't think anyone was cheating and if they were then they have the same likelihood to get caught as they would in a day one of a gp which uh, apparently everyone thinks is fine so i'm not sure what all the fuss is about <laughs> I, I think they didn't know most people like comment on twitter don't know like they they didn't play necessarily play at nationals and didn't know about this like seat swapping registration process because uh, for me, just reading the, the tweet, I thought it was kind of weird, and I don't, and uh, I was too busy taking random pictures to know that they that they were moving you like this. Uh, Andy, do you have any thoughts on this whole thing? You're just cool with how it was run. Well, I can't speak speak to uh, how they did it on day two, but uh, in the first day, it, it it wasn't that weird. They just it was just a draft where you just moved and registered someone else instead of passing it across. Like you would at a GP, you just passed it to someone who doesn't give a crap what your deck is. So it's fine. <laughs> Kale the same. You're nodding in agreement. Oh yeah. Like it, it didn't bother me though. The, it was strange registering other people's draft decks. 
it's different than sealed where they're just given a pile of cards. It was really interesting to just like look at what they had done and just like never know who they were or why. <laughs> and then just leave. Never to see it again. It was a very strange experience. You just get to see how some random stranger like drafted way better than you did. Yeah, you <laughs> like, just look. Uh, I, like, I, the first one I saw, it was like almost a good deck with just like eight black cards and an otherwise insane red-white deck. And I was like trying to piece together like how this could possibly happen to someone. It was a fun <laughs> little mystery. <laughs> like, it was, I don't know. It was fun. I, I liked it. It was strange. Like a whodunit. <laughs> yeah. A little mystery. <laughs> I want Andy to leave a note next time on the paper. Oh. I Go drafted ahead. this card in the corridor with the candlestick. <laughs> uh, back to you, Kel. Did, uh, some people think you know the whole idea that um, there there were just this set amount of rounds, regardless of what the attendance would be. Do you have a strong opinion either way about the format or the different way it was breakdown standard and draft? Or were you just cool with the whole thing? Or are you indifferent? Yeah, I, it seemed fine. I was glad that standard was the start, and I was really glad that I had a buy because standard was at the start. Like, like I don't know. I like the focus on limited as well. Like, it felt like that's what really mattered almost. But then it was kind of like whiplash to go back to standard for the top eight. I don't know. I, I, it was fine. Okay. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I didn't really think about that because uh, Face was actually host, hosting trials on Friday where you could win two buys, and then that makes standard even less important if, if, you, if yeah. you got those two buys. Um, Andy, what about you? Uh, it, it felt fine for Canada because it looks like, uh, if I recall, no X2s missed, but there certainly has to be some sort of scaling system for uh, the countries that reached uh, more than 500 or however many we had, because an, like X2 not making it is a pretty big bummer. Like, especially you just want the, the cutoff to be not like so reliant on tiebreakers, which is hard to do. And it did feel weird to just only play two rounds of standard after the draft on day two. So that part felt a little strange. Maybe they should do, I guess they wanted it to be shorter because of top eight compared to day one, but overall it was fine I, I like it i like it better than just like eight rounds of modern or standard like the wmcqs which... so it was good uh when did like when did the whole night end cal it wasn't that late when you ended up winning was it uh no i think i got out of there around eight it's pretty quick which is pretty sweet yeah rob i'm sure you're 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 all in favor of more rounds in general I'm waiting for you to just say, no, <laughs> let's do it. So I, I think uh, I agree with Andy. He kind of like took the words right out of my mouth, really, as I was thinking about what I wanted to say here. He just <laughs> said it all. So, yeah, I mean, for Canada, a uh, 12-round event um, for 422 people was perfect, right? We had a completely clean cut at X2. For the States and Japan, like they – I don't know how many people missed – but there was enough like fuss on Twitter that it seemed like multiple people missed at X two, and I, I agree that that does feel bad. Like it feels bad at a GP too, right? When you're like thirteen and two, and you miss top eight because you're like ninth or tenth or whatever, because um, the GP was you know very large but not large enough to be split uh, into two events or, or however they you know handle that now. So um, so yeah, I think they probably just need maybe like two or three different 
uh, round sequences based on how many players are there. I think it probably fixes the the problem. Well, I mean, I, I really did like the format, though. I think six rounds of standard and six rounds of draft is is sweet, and uh, I think that finishing the tournament in standard is probably what what Watsy wants. Even if I would rather have a top eight draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, I, I'd imagine that next year, if they do it again, it's going to be like very different. Like this, this year's sort of weird because it was like a five hundred planeswalker points cutoff and just like everybody get in, like kind of thing. So if they do the same format with like a lot less players next year, maybe if they have like a like qualification, a more stringent qualification. Oh, like a thousand or twelve hundred or whatever. Yeah, something like that. That's fair. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. I I agree. I think they should. (laughs) There was a there was some loose play going on (laughs) at nationals, which maybe you wouldn't have suspected in the old system where only like a hundred people were invited. But Rob, I, I think it's it's going to be like like the like the PT. Like they're never going to make well, maybe not never, but the, the top eight is never going to be limited if if constructed as part of the tournament, right? No, for sure, because like no one. The, the problem is that no one cares what the winning deck list is if it's a draft deck. Really, right? it doesn't matter. They care who the winning player <laughs> is. <laughs> okay, not no one, but it's just like way less people care, right? Where. You know, almost every Magic player cares what the winning standard deck list is for the most part. So, I think it's an important it's an important point, and I'm fine with them taking it that way. I mean, if you're going to Nats, you're gonna you should have if you're expecting to win, you should have brought a good standard deck or a deck that you think is good. So, I, I feel that uh, if you're in top eight, you're probably feeling okay about your chances to uh, to win it all. M- moving on to the topic of of just Deckless, perfect uh, segment for me, Rob. Um, I don't know this as much as you do, but uh, Watsi has been selective as on as to what decklist they should publish on on Daily MTG and and their sites. And now there's some controversies because like maybe a player should just drop at four zero instead of going five zero and risk having their new tech exposed and and we all know for a lot of people constructed leagues are the best way to test most time efficient way of testing uh for people especially with people with day jobs and everything and and now you're telling me that they've decided that they might be publishing four ones is that is that the the problem here yeah so pv has started writing an article on daily mtg i guess it's weekly that's called almost there something to that effect and um the first week they did it um it was like very unclear by the way the article was written and some of the other details around it. A little more information's out now, so it's it's maybe a little less controversial. But in the beginning, it seemed like PV had access to a lot of four one decklist data, and he had like handpicked two lists uh, from that data. They were both blue black pirates decks, and then he basically talks about like what's good in those decks. You know, maybe what what's bad and why those game plans didn't probably pan out to a five Oh, and then kind of like, you know, gives his theory and a deck list for like, okay, like if you liked this kind of list and you wanted to try and get somewhere with it, I would start here now and see if, you know, you can, you can start taking down some, some leagues and gain some trophies. So if he had access to all of four, one data, or they started publishing all that four, one data, it, you know, it's kind of weird since he's still in the pro circuit, right? Having access to all that, other information it seems like he didn't they just handed him two blue black pirates decks and they've re-clarified a bunch of stuff so 
if you drop for an event at 4-0, they're not going to select your deck list. Also, they're not always going to select 4-1 MTGO league list. They're going to select like 9 through 16th place, like SCG Open or Grand Prix lists that are interesting. Like, I would be very surprised if the red-white approach deck from U.S. Nationals or Japanese Nationals, I forget exactly. I think it was U.S. Nationals. It was like a, it was like a Sunbirds Invocation red-white approach deck. It was a very, very interesting build, and I think it plays like 10th. I would be very surprised if that wasn't next week's uh, selection, just because of like how weird of a deck uh, that is, and they want to showcase it and show deck diversity or whatever. But all this like controversy around deck list showing and people having to drop from leagues to hide their tech, I would rather them just. I, I think it makes sense to just like not just like stop printing MTGO deck list data because you know it. It actually does complicate a bunch of things. And if if you're someone that's like good at tuning lists, it actually does you a disservice to do your testing on Moto. Because now other people have your data and people that aren't good at that, they just like join in the machine and just like, you know, make your deck list more prominent so that now everyone's on it. So you always have to be one. You're already one step ahead because you got there, right? Now you need to be one step ahead every day because the the data was published every day, right? So I would like to see them go back to maybe just publishing all of the data from Moto after the Grand Prix. So like you have a Grand Prix. Now you've kind of seen, you know, how the metagame has evolved and where people have taken it. And then at that point, you can just like publish all the MTGO data at the same time as well. So people can do like their calculations and where they want to be and how they want to attack the metagame now that it's known after the Grand Prix, kind of like at a singular point. But then like you don't really get any data for like, you know, another week or two and you don't get it day by day. So that allows like the people that want to experiment and try things out, able to do that and kind of hide their information until, you know, the next big event is over, right? Because like if they would have done well at that big event, then their data would have been published anyways. And if they didn't do well at that that big event, then their tech was obviously garbage and it doesn't really matter if it's out there um, either. So I don't know. I, I would like to see them take that approach as an experiment since they keep to just they seem to keep just doing random things anyway. So why not why not try this as well? <laughs> it's weird. It just, it's so weird to like enter a league with the intention of dropping at 4-0. I just think that's a very poor behavior to want to promote. I don't think... Andy, you don't care, right? You're, you're, you're going to go for that 5-0 as a moral grinder. You, you, can't, you can't open those chests if you're dropping at 4-0. <laughs> Got a habit. I love it. What, what do you think, though, Andy? Are you good with... Uh, do you agree with Rob? Would you like to see a world where uh, no MTGO lists are published until a big event? Or you know, uh, people, people need to grow... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Rob is absolutely wrong. So, like, they need, they need to sell magic cards, and the things people want to do is build decks that they see other people playing and see are successful, and that's, that's what... In- Implores them to buy these magic cards, so they have to post the, like they they could just do it with just tournament results, but people want more. They need more. They want to buy something else. They want to buy the new hot tech. So, and for people who aren't as uh, astute deck builders as Rob Lombardi, we we need this. <laughs> we need this. You're taking my legs. <laughs> like even as Kale said, how do you take the best deck and make it a little worse if you don't know what it is? <laughs> Like, 
it's it's I don't know. I check I I used to check MTG Goldfish every single day and I would check it all the time just to be like, Oh, look at this, look at this and I would scour hundreds and hundreds of lists. And now that they've taken that away from me, I just I don't want them to do do me do me any more harm. I need this. <laughs> yeah, you you would still be able to do that, Andy. But you would be able to do that after a GP. Figure out what deck list you want to play, and then you would have to actively participate in making that deck a little bit worse, as you say, for for weeks until the next data dump. In which case, you could pick someone else's garbage deck and continue to tune it into a piece of, piece of trash. How am I supposed to know what to play at the GP after the GP? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the point, right? I mean, so so I mean, here here's like an important thing that I think is missed. I I remember back in the day, the magic day, like five years ago or whatever, um, where someone that you knew in your inner circle had access to a list that they either came up with or got like from a pro and you would, you know, you would get it sent to you and you're like, holy crap, this list is fantastic. And you would get to take that to a PTQ and just crush people because no one even knew what was going on. Like I remember I had access to like a Naya uh, Stoneforge mystic, deck that was you know not broken out yet right people did not really know what was going on at that time and i just knew someone who who had access to the tech and they're like you should play this deck and i played it and just like went straight undefeated on the day like the deck was just completely busted right and now you'll just like never see that in this day and age where like everyone has access to all the deck lists all the deck lists are refined day after day after day after day where they're like you know any random person can take a finely tuned deck list to an event and like you just kind of like lose that excitement where when someone comes up with something interesting and you get access to it and you're like i have an edge i actually have an edge here right and you just like we, we don't have that anymore that that is gone it's just I feel like i'm being attacked right now <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the old days where i, I don't would, think uh, I signed up for this <laughs> where i would message glenn McElwin and just beg him to tell me what he's playing <laughs> Those are exciting times, I think. They were pretty good, but uh, now I get to do it at the comfort of my own home and I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a golden age. Uh, Kale, what do you think? Would you want all decks or no decks? Um, I'm really in favor of all decks, personally. Um, just, like, for me. Cause, okay, I, I live in Peterborough. And I don't... Partially because of... Like where I like, I just I moved here a few years ago, and I don't really like talking to people that I don't know because I'm scared of the whole world. Um, so I don't really know anybody here, and I just like keep on going. Like I drive an hour to play Magic once a week, sort of thing. And I also hate Magic Online. So I like between tournaments, I I, I know nothing. Like I don't get to play. I don't I don't know anything. I talk to Andy. I talk to Devin, and I just sort of like look at deck lists. And like without that, I think I'm just like dead. I think I just stop playing. Oh, Rob, Rob, what, look what you would do to poor Gale. I've killed him <laughs> once before. I guess I can. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, good old days, Andy, with uh, G Mac. Those are uh, wish you would come back. Classic Glenn. Um, man, but I like I'm on the fence on this. Yeah, yeah, Kale. I was just thinking that I was on the receiving end of the like forward, 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 new hot tech from Glenn, like a couple of times. It was pretty sweet. 
Yeah, see, you don't need it, Kale. You already had the connections, man. <laughs> very, very loose connection. <laughs> it was the six degrees of separation of how could you get to Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> imagine, look, I'm just imagining him playing somewhere. It's like, how did you get my list? <laughs> Where, how did it get forwarded all the way to you? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that SCG that you, were, that you were talking about before the show, um, that was, I got Glenn's list from my friend Jack Penny. Or else, like I think I like Glenn was just showing him the deck, and I was like standing nearby, and just like built his rug delver deck. <laughs> <laughs> and then you took it all the way to second, right? Yeah, yeah. Glenn, Glenn was the magic man. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Um, Rob, Rob's been t- uh, telling me how he wants to troll you. Uh, Rob, can you give, give the listeners more details about this kill troll here? Yeah. So Andy kind of gave you know, some of the background to Kale's successes, but I have, uh, you know, thought that we should talk about some of the failures as well. So Kale and I actually, we met, uh, it's probably five or six years ago. Now, uh, we played at a limited PTQ back when they used to do that stuff. Um, and we met in the finals, um, and both our decks were like kind of garbage. I think, <laughs> And uh, I was a novice probably at drafting at that time, but I decided somehow that it was good to side in the card not to the bone in our matchup because I felt like we were racing and I wanted to gain like 24 life. So if you don't know what that is, it's a tuna green instant and you gain two life for each card in your graveyard and you can flash it back for tuna green. So while the card is like not good, you can definitely gain a lot of life if you're in an interesting matchup that uh, life total matters. And I felt like, you know, this was where I wanted to be for some reason. Um, so, yeah, it, it ended up being the deciding factor uh, in our game three. And, uh, you know, when I played it, everyone had a good chuckle about how stupid the card is. <laughs> but it ended up being uh, the card that probably won me the game, I, I think. I'm not sure that any other card in my uh, 42 would have got me there. Um, and then so after winning and getting the invite to Hawaii, I got invited to a wedding where I was being the best man and I didn't even get to go. So I was able to beat Kale with a, a terrible card and then burn the invite so that neither of us got to go to the tournament. And then uh, to top it all off, I believe that uh, your friends, Kale, bought you like every knot of the bone in your city and gave it to you as a Christmas present. Yeah, that was a good one. I, I cut them up and arranged them to form some interesting words. I hear this is a PG podcast, so <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and even it goes that that PTQ goes even deeper, just slightly though, um, because you tried to. I I got a call from Marv like as I was driving home from Waterloo that was saying like you can't go to the PT. He's going to try his best to see if I can get the invite. And then like so it was like oh sorry, there's nothing we can do. I talked to Wizards right. Uh, the deck list that they posted the next day had me in first place. So I just got waves of congratulations. I just, like, wow. I just, I hate myself. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, after, as soon as I found out that I couldn't go, I emailed Marv and was like, yo, just pretend like I lost and tell the wizards that Kale won and you guys screwed it up. He's like, I don't know if we can do that. And I was like, I'll corroborate all of it. Like, it's just such a waste. Like, it's so stupid that I can't go. 
It's it's such a good invite. <laughs> like, why are we wasting it? And Watsi was just like, no, passing down invites. Come on, we don't do that here. And so then after they denied um, me being able to transfer the invite to Kale, I asked him, I said, okay, well, I have to go to a wedding. Uh, I'm the best man. Can I, like, defer this to the next PT? Which was, like, local. Like, I, I forget exactly where it was. It was, like, Montreal or Washington. Like, somewhere that I would have probably just driven to. Like, it was close enough for that. And they just reply back and go, I hope that you have a good time at your wedding. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, you don't have to fly me to that. Hawaii is a very expensive plane ticket compared to like me just driving to Montreal or whatever. And they're just like, nah, cool. Yeah. Have fun. Thanks though. It's like, Oh my God, everyone's getting screwed here. Great. <laughs> oh man. I didn't know the story. Wow. <laughs> this is, this is a crazy story. <laughs> What the heck? See, I'm very happy that that Kale won our nationals. I feel yeah. like now I I don't uh, I don't feel bad for stealing that invite from you so many years ago. <laughs> Andy, did you know about the story? Uh, well, yeah. So I, I knew about the story, but uh, I never knew it was Rob Lombardi until until right now. <laughs> I I remember just like getting the message, being like. Lost a knot of the bone. <laughs> There's many more things I could say about that message, but uh, you yelled at me last time. <laughs> wow. What a story. Oh. Rob, speaking of uh, passing down invites, did you feel it was weird um, that Eduardo, the team captain, was, was playing in the tournament? But, like, it's not... He should be playing because I think he gets an appearance fee, right? So I would be playing if I was him. But would have been? Do you feel it's kind of weird that the team captain that's only qualified is playing in the in the tournament? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a stupid thing for Watsi to have set up. Like so, almost probably obviously, the team captain gets an appearance fee because they're more than likely platinum, right? So. I'm not sure what they can do, but I, I think they should probably just like give the team captain their appearance fee anyways and ban them from being able to enter the event. Like if they're going to do it anyways, there's just like really no point in them and them coming. Uh, like there's pro points as well on the line. So maybe they would come to do that anyways. It's just like, it's just so weird to have someone who's already qualified for the, the tournament you're trying to qualify for being able to play in the event to get other monetary and uh, other incentives that like you don't really care about <laughs> in the offense. So yeah, I, I felt it was, it was kind of weird to have him there. I mean, if I was him, like in his spot, I would obviously attend, right? right. The incentives yeah. are there for him to attend. I'm not saying like he shouldn't have attended, but Watsi shouldn't have a system that incentivizes the, the captains to attend their, their nationals event. It, it, yeah, I agree. It is. It's weird. Like I can't play in an RPTQ that, I'm qualified for the PT4 or whatever, right? Like, people can't do that. So it's, yeah, this is the only system, the only tournament that allows you to to do that, I think. But uh, they'll probably fix it. Like, this was, I feel like Nationals was a little bit of a rush this year to kind of, like, get it going. It was a little bit unorganized, and there are a little, yeah, there'll be a lot of changes next year. So not too worried about it, but we'll we'll see what they choose to focus on. There's a lot of improvements they can make for sure. It's like the team is consisted of the team captain, the national champion, and, and the guy who finished second. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the other two get these cool titles, team captain, national champ. 
Hey, I'm just uh, the finalist. Um, if Eduardo wins, the, the team consists of the team captain, <laughs> the guy who finished second, and however they figure out the guy who finished third. <laughs> Which apparently, based like some countries do it differently than others. Like some will just pick who they, the, I guess, the highest ranked person who was in the semifinals, and then others will have the third and fourth players play off again to see who wins. I don't know. Anyways, it's a, it's weird. It needs more clarity and uh, definition for sure. All right, um, Cal, are you excited for for the World Magic Cup? Um, or have you decided, are you going to talk to to your teammates heading to the tournament? Uh, do you know how it's going to work sort of? Um, I, I, I'm excited. I'm, but, um, I don't really know any of the details yet. I imagine Lucas is pretty busy for the most part. And so I, I don't know what's going on as far as like testing or anything like that goes, but I am, um, the opposite of busy. For the most part, so I'm ready to like practice as much as I can. Hopefully, do the country proud as best as my ability. Andy, on paper, you think this this team's pretty sweet? Well, I, I think it's pretty sweet. Yes, uh, this looks like a, a very good team to me. Of uh, a lot of uh, col- players that uh, I have a lot of confidence in their ability to uh, to play against the best in the world, like. Uh, couldn't ask for a much better team to me. Like, it's a, it's a really good team. I don't like it, you could have like uh, three big names or whatever, but I don't think there's a huge skill deficit compared to to the other teams. Yeah, I, I think Eduardo has proven himself, and and Lucas, of course, has been a, a known Canadian name for a while now, for more than a couple of years. So, really looking forward to this. And this happens, I think, in the first. Week of uh, December, I believe. Yep. Uh, where's it held? Uh, nice. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Nice is fantastic. You guys are going to have a good time. It's a great place to go. I hear it's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we're gonna wrap things up soon. Cal, were there any any stories, any matches that that you would like to mention that happened uh, during nationals? Any interactions that were kind of funny? Um, no, no, that's fine. I don't know. It it felt weird. It was a strange tournament where like, I think I either I was drawing well or my opponents weren't or like I drafted better decks than the people that I was playing against and everything just sort of worked out. Like there weren't any like crazy plays I can think of or any like what like stories like that. It's just. I don't know. Everyone was a was a pleasure to play against. Oh, yeah. No, everybody was fine. Um. There's there's very few people I run to anymore that are just like super salty for losing and like anything like that. Everybody's mostly pleasant nowadays. Okay, Andy. Besides uh, being able to call me Bullmag Carrier and stuff like that, anything you want to mention as well? I just want to mention that I'm only here because Lucas was busy. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm or deny that statement. I want. I wanted to run back the SCG poster we had. I think. What, what place did you finish? It was tenth. <laughs> it's like why? Why did I put that there? There's. There's not as good. It's a ring. There's not a good ring to. Uh, like first through two hundredth, we're busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
SCG Andy Files. Peters, Magic Player. <laughs> magic Player, yeah. Best finishing non-Day 2 competitor. <laughs> was at the convention center. <laughs> yeah, which is there at the International Center. I asked him if he had time uh, to come tonight. Um, Rob, what about you? Anything from Nationals? It, was it... Like, was the event run pretty smoothly or overall over across the two days? Yeah, I mean, like, I actually like the setup where it's like seven rounds and then five plus plus the top eight. Because, um, like, you, you can start a little bit later. Like, the tournament started at 10 a.m. And we were out, I think, like, 7.30 or 8 on day one. And then I was able to leave at, like, 5 after um, not making top eight on day two. Um, and, I, and, like Kale said, like, you guys were done by 8 p.m. or something like that, right? Or around yeah. then? Yeah. So it's, like, way better than GPs. Like, some some GPs I've been to have, like, ended close to, like, 11 or 12 on day one, and then you're there until sometimes, like, you know, 9 or 10 on day two, depending on, like, how slow the format is. So, um, yeah, I think it was run smoothly, and I, I like the way that they set it up. I like the smaller rounds for us being a smaller tournament size. Um, as far as, like, weird stories uh i had multiple matches where my opponents read more than one card i played (laughs) and i had one match where my opponent read almost every card (laughs) that i cast (laughs) and that's the only match i lost (laughs) obviously (laughs) they knew it all man they knew it they knew everything when I played, <laughs> okay, he didn't read Bomac Courier, but he did read Toolcraft Exemplar, and he did read um, what else did I play that he read? Uh, he read Depala, and I was like, I'm going to lose to this guy. He's <laughs> he's clearly just going to roll me, and my draws are going to be miserable. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> he has no idea what I could be casting, and it does not matter. <laughs> <clears throat> but it was sweet. I got to play some uh, some sweet cards that people did not know what they did, and uh, sometimes that is very effective. And uh, it, it worked out for me, I guess, against the team or players, anyways. Might be a lot different uh, again if, if, like Kel said, we move up that uh, threshold to to a thousand. Maybe, maybe we'll have less of those interactions, possibly. Yeah, very likely. <laughs> very, very likely. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to give a shout out to our first strike producers, Jay Thomas Eaton, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchantson, Isaiah Carrero. Thank you for uh, supporting the uh, pod. And uh, you can join our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash first strike. I can't leave without asking Andy for some NBA picks. Who's winning the championship? A very bold decision. The Golden State Warriors. Wow. They have... <laughs> They have, like, four of the top ten players in the NBA, dude. Alrighty. And uh, your, your MVP pick? Ka- Kawhi Leonard. Write it down. All right. Shout-outs to Top 8 Magic, the, the 50% NBA podcast, or more, more so than that. Um, Kale, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, congratulations again on your win, on your, on your breakthrough performance. It's, it's really awesome to see, especially with the kind words that Andy ha- has given to you. Like, I feel like I really want to root for you and the team to do really well in December. So super stoked to see you do well. Thank you. And especially since uh, you got Lombardied uh, a lot <laughs> earlier, too, gives us more reason to cheer you on to crush it at the World Magic Cup. 
I hope it helps you do better <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I need something. All right. So with that, for, for uh, the rest of us, uh, we will see you uh, next Monday. So good luck at all your local PPTQs. Ciao. Thank you.